Hello and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Wirtz, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background. This is the first episode in September, uh, September 1st, 2022, episode 86. And these are the topics I have for you this week. France attempts to crack down on private jets. Michael Landl joins us uh, from the World Vapors Alliance to talk about a new citizens initiative that suggests a generation ban on nicotine products. And German Chancellor Olaf Scholz suggests major enlargement of the European Union. So let's get started. The French Republic has some new ideas for regulation, and this time it's about uh, private jets. Those are really coming under fire in recent weeks in France. It's an easy target because it's um, well, it's easy for them to pretend that you know rich people polluting the environment. So obviously that's really bad, um, without really getting into the um, the the details of how exactly um, that whole industry operates. And so Politico is writing, Minister Clément Beaune said this week that he intended to discuss potential regulation with his EU colleagues at the next informal transport meeting in October. The announcement reflects the popularity in France for flight tracking social media sites that highlight the journeys made by high profile celebrities and business people in their personal aircraft, as well as the carbon they emit. Bourne did not specify what measures he would consider, but rejected Greens leader Julien Bayou's call for an outright ban on private planes. Um, so I think this is just very cheap of the French government because a lot of people, obviously, I mean, if it's Taylor Swift going in a private jet, I mean, and she, and she apparently loves to take them quite a bit. Um, it's, it's usually those, you know, those large ones with a lot of seats and not too many people traveling on them. Um, but I think what's important to say here is that a lot of the um, chartered flight industry is not what you actually consider the really fancy diamond sparkly um, private jet to be. It's actually more of like a propeller plane um, that a couple of people booked because, well, they prefer not to be on the schedule of a commercial airline and, um, and it's easier for them and they can afford it. And and by the way, I mean, not all those numbers on private jets are actually astronomical. Um, you can check that out. It's easy Google to figure out how expensive uh, that would be. And if you get a few people together, it's it's definitely more expensive than a business class ticket, but it's also not out of the ordinary. And so uh, to some people, that is a good way uh, of doing it. And if you fill the aircraft, um, if, you, if you narrow it down on, on a per person uh, level there, the carbon dioxide emissions have to be analyzed between the different methods of transport. I think that's just an example of how we don't do this in, in so many cases. Um, aviation in general has come under fire, even though those short flights that you know, connect you to a different airport are not necessarily the worst way to go, to go about this. And I'm having really a hard time getting this from the people who run a system where public transport is not particularly good. They don't want you to fly, but then Deutsche Bahn announces that until 2024, it's a real pain in the butt to take the train. Um, French railway, Belgian railway, Dutch railway currently on strike fairly often, especially in Belgium and France. Uh, and then horrible connections. I mean, it, there's not even a real high-speed rail connection or any, any uh, quick connection between Madrid and, and Paris, which is a line that a lot of people would probably take if it was available. So a lot of that infrastructure does not exist. 
but they want people uh, to ditch the plane anyway, whether that is private or commercial, by the way. And what we end up with is essentially the message of just stay home because, well, um, do it for the environment. Unfortunately, our system cannot rely on this premise. People actually still want to meet in person and they do a lot of that for business. And in order for the content to work properly, that's a good idea. And it's also a bit ironic because for a very long time we were told, you know, visit other countries, uh, do an Erasmus, study abroad, travel around the continent, do this, do that because it's connectedness and, and, and social cohesion, all these things. And now they just want you to stay home as you've been doing for the last uh, two years. Um, I'm not a particular fan of that. I think it's also the temerity of telling that to people when, you know, in Germany, it's mostly powered by, if you're taking a train, it's most likely to be powered by, by fossil fuels, um, coal or gas. And then telling people, oh, I mean, you're the real polluter here if you take a, if you take a private jet or if you take a commercial aircraft. Um, that's rich um, and not in the monetary sense. I think what's also important is when we look at the industry of chartered flights, they're also carbon dioxide emissions have been going down 30 to 35 percent because they keep updating their aircraft. And I think ultimately that is what I've been saying so many times. Uh, airlines do not make money for petrol companies out of charity they do they do that only because they need the kerosene to get from a to b if they can use less kerosene they will very much do so and uh, they do invest by getting new aircraft and that is ultimately how we reduce carbon dioxide emissions overall banning flights outright uh, just means that people have no way to get uh, to too many places it will make the continent less efficient and ultimately actually make the entire sector less efficient because if only the very big spenders can fly because they have the ability to pay whatever taxes are imposed on them, then what we end up with is, is, a, is a sector that doesn't reinvest its profit into R&D, uh, doesn't reinvest into new, uh, new technology, um, and that's ultimately what we don't want. Next up, we have Michael Lundell, director of the World Vapors Alliance, joining us. Um, there is a new citizens initiative that suggests. Next up, we have Michael Lundell from the World Vapors Alliance joining us. All right, we're back with Michael Lundell, director of the World Vapors Alliance, and uh, he's been on the program a few times before. And this time, Michael, uh, we have news that is also not just about tobacco; it's actually about nicotine in general, because there's a European citizens initiative. Uh, started that is trying to get signatures in order to ban anyone born after 2010 to be allowed to purchase tobacco products or any nicotine products, which would also include uh, vaping. So um, that's a pretty that's a pretty strict rule. Uh, your initial reaction? What um, what is this all about? First of all, thank you for having me again. And I think there are several problems with this initiative. First of all. It puts all the different categories you mentioned of different products into the same regulatory framework, which doesn't make sense at all, because obviously we have from cigarettes, cigars, up to vaping, snooze, way less harmful alternatives. And obviously then the regulation should um, be based on the actual harm and uh, risk appropriate and not banning everything. Um, the second problem is um, prohibition never works, so it will create a huge black market. Um, the third pro problem is that 
in practice, how should this work in a couple of years? I still can't come up with that. So then you have, a, I don't know, 50-year-old and a 49-year-old and the 50-year-old gets his cigarettes or his vaping devices and the 49-year-old doesn't. Doesn't really make sense. And the way I would uh, read the Lisbon Treaty as well, um, it's against uh, equal treatment of EU citizens, um, just based uh, on the on the age. So there are a lot of different problems. I think the main problem is actually that this shows that there is so much misconception about different um, nicotine products and tobacco products. So they just put it all in one category and this will create all these negative effects. Right. So there's a lot of signatures actually necessary for an, for an ECI, a European Citizens Initiative, to actually be then considered by the European Commission. But I think just the media hype around this can already give the European Commission ideas. Has this been an issue before? Because I remember some member states had this in mind. I think Hungary also tried to do a generation ban on tobacco specifically. Um, do, do you think that even if this gets enough signatures, that the commission would actually go through with it? I mean, historically, we already know that the commission is very hostile against all forms of, of tobacco, but also tobacco harm reduction, which doesn't really make sense because I think we all have the, the goal to, to make it as easy as possible for people to quit cigarettes. And then the regulation should be um, done accordingly to the, to the risk it actually poses to the consumers. And this kind of initiative, I think, um, might give a leeway to the commission to say citizens actually want that. But when we then look at real life, uh, if we ban something, demand doesn't go away. We, there will still be demand for some form of nicotine. Um, and our approach from the World Vapors Alliance is that the less harmful it is, the easier it should be. And um, if for, for to make it, it everything the same and one size fits all, that, that just won't work. And the EU Commission will definitely use it as a signal or as a, as a starting point To, to regulate all forms of nicotine harder. And we all know the Tobacco Products Directive, which is the biggest and uh, framework of, of tobacco regulation, but also with, with other nicotine products. And that's not a horizon already. So they will start discussing this this year. And then in the next one or two years, um, they will come up with an updated version of the regulation. So I think this is already a first sign that the pressure from anti nicotine organizations um, is increasing on the commission and uh, our fear is that they will follow through with that. Now vaping has the potential of helping people to uh, to quit cigarettes. It definitely has worked for you. Um, ultimately the argument from your side might even be look at this point um, with vaping becoming more popular and you know more people being exposed to it and knowing about it uh, at con like current smokers, Uh, you might actually be pos it might actually be possible that all the people uh, eventually that were born after 2010 don't even want to touch cigarettes in the future anymore because they have a harm reduction tool. Um, it doesn't seem to go quick enough for the commission because, I mean, the smoking rates are declining in most member states, and I think vaping does play a role in this. Um, but, is yeah, I, 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 I guess we can say it's just a level of impatience, um, especially from a governmental side, which for years the government has said, look, here's a nicotine gum, a nicotine patches, and for a lot of people that just doesn't work. And the concept of just quit 
also clearly doesn't work. Um, so a bit of an act of desperation, I guess, on behalf of the activists trying to convince the commission like this is the way forward, just to complete that. Yeah, I would I would even go further than that and, and say it's not just too slow for them, but they also ignore it. Because if we look at, at some countries which are uh, more open to vaping, like the UK, just this week, Ash came out with the with the new statistics and it's a record number of vapors already there. And virtually everyone in the survey said they did it to, to quit smoking or to stay away from cigarettes. So it's clearly um, a quitting aid for, for the vast majority of people. Uh, and real life shows it works. And the UK is probably the, the best practice example. And if the EU would follow the same regulation as the UK did, we could have 200 million people switching to vaping. Uh, right away. So um, it's a huge potential, but obviously, as, as usually, politicians need to, to set a good framework that people have the incentive, have the information um, to transition away from cigarettes to less harmful uh, cigarettes. And when we look into the US, there uh, a majority of smokers already think that vaping is as harmful or more harmful uh, as smoking. So completely counterfactual to all scientific facts. But I think that's what's happened if you see this kind of moral panic about nicotine in general and we fail to distinguish between the different products. And also the idea that bans work because, I mean, obviously we ban cannabis and nobody's uh, nobody's doing that anymore. So prohibition, super effective. Um, Michael, uh, you keep up uh, the, the work at the WVA and uh, you have some things planned uh, for this year still. The year is far from over and you have some things that, uh, that you want to announce. So tell us what's going on. Yeah. Yes, uh, as I mentioned, since the tobacco products direction uh, directive is is now in discussion and coming up, and this is probably the deciding factor on the future of, of vaping and harm reduction in Europe. So it's the most important um, regulatory framework coming up. And therefore, we said, OK, we need to make sure to counter initiatives like we talked about. And we will um, start our back vaping beat smoking campaign again, which we did already last year um, and do it this year again with the focus on the tobacco products directive. We have already a petition on our website, worldvaporsalliance.com, uh, where people can sign the petition, where we basically urge politicians to guarantee access and affordability to vaping. And with this petition, we will tour through uh, France, then to Poland, I Italy, Portugal, and try to meet as many vapors as possible to generate more uh, petition signatures and also um, show awareness to the vaping community and give them a voice so that um, they know what to do, how to, how to get their voices out. And, um, the most powerful things are our personal stories because almost every vapor is a former smoker and that is hard to deny for politicians. So we try to meet those people and give them the tools in their hand to contact politicians and influence um, the tobacco products directive in the right way. And uh, if you are a person who switched, you can uh, probably uh, meet the WVA people to tell your story at uh, some of these events. You can find it on the website of World Vapors Alliance. And if you woke up this morning, dear listeners, with the incredible urge to sign a petition, don't go to the website of the European Commission. Do go to the website of World Vapors Alliance. That's where you can find, uh, that's where you can find uh, places to, to sign and support uh, the work that Michael and the whole team does. Michael, thanks so much for coming on the Consumer Podcast. 
Thank you for having me. And signing those petitions has will have more influence than the EU Commission uh, petitions, which are always ignored. Absolutely right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. And then lastly, we have German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who is suggesting a major enlargement of the European Union. He was giving an hour-long speech at Charles University in Prague. And here's an excerpt by Euronews with their direct translation. I am advocating the expansion of the European Union to include the states of the Western Balkans, Ukraine, Moldova and in the future Georgia as well. Speaking in Prague on Monday, the German Chancellor also gave his support to extending Europe's free travel Schengen zone to EU members Croatia, Romania and Bulgaria. And it wasn't his only proposal. He wants to build a new air defense system to protect the continent. Such a common European air defense system would not only be cheaper and more effective than when each member state builds its own expensive and highly complex anti-aircraft system. It would also be a benefit for the security of Europe and an excellent example of what we mean when we talk about strengthening the European pillar of NATO. This is a major uh, proposal here, uh, including the Western Balkans, um, in the European Union and also in the Schengen area for those that are already members, so Croatia, Romania, Bulgaria, also extending it to Ukraine, um, Moldova and Georgia. That is a major enlargement, um, pretty much on par, if not larger, most likely larger than that in uh, 2004. It's a very significant suggestion here and very interesting because it does go against what has been the French line for the last few years under Emmanuel Macron. Uh, every suggestion, even at visa liberalization for countries such as Kosovo, have been rejected because essentially the Schengen area, um, um, as does the European Union, operates on the sort of the, 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 the lowest common denominator. So let's say you are from a non-EU country and then you get a tourist visa and you do try and visit... Uh, Germany. Now, Germany will give out tourist visas based on its own policies, but also with coordination between other Schengen members, because somebody who gets a German tourist visa will be able to just leave Germany and go to France, um, because there's no border checks in between, and it is a Schengen visa per se, so you are able to visit the entire uh, Schengen area, uh, including a country such as Switzerland. Now, the issue is, is that France says, well, we have a lot of people from Kosovo that come in on a Schengen visa and then they stay permanently. So they overstay their visa. They are essentially illegal immigrants. And then they say other countries in the EU should not be allowed to give out that many visas um, to that country. There should be no visa uh, liberalization. Um, it shouldn't be an on-arrival visa, uh, which, for instance, uh, uh, countries such as Georgia do have already, which means that they arrive and then they get a stamp and that's, they have to get there and then they can get there. Usually it's 90 days within 180 days. That's their visit limit. Um, but that doesn't exist for all the countries. And now, I mean, obviously, including them in the European Union would um, solve that problem altogether. But it's definitely uh, not what has been Macron policy. And it's very interesting to see whether Scholz will actually manage to convince his French counterparts that this is something uh, that needs to be done. It's definitely a big statement uh, from a from a chancellor who hasn't been particularly effective at making his mark on the continent. He's actually mostly known as being quite inefficient in reacting to the war in Ukraine. 
Um, so big policy, I'm not sure if it's a reversal, but I mean, it's definitely it's definitely some sort of that because it's only come about because of the war in Ukraine. Um, and Scholz trying to lead here. Um, Macron, the king of Europe, was at least a supposition under, under the last few years. I guess Scholz is trying uh, to not make that impression that he is weak be too persistent. So um, very interesting to see how that's going to continue. We'll definitely keep an eye on it. That's as much as we have for you today. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so by going on consumerchoicecenter.org slash donate. Tell me your tips about topics. If you're in a specific member state and something got banned uh, that you think is terrible uh, from a consumer choice perspective, you can email me on bill at consumerchoicecenter.org. As you know, you can follow this podcast on uh, a lot of different platforms already. Please upgrade them and maybe recommend it to a friend. If you know somebody, oh, it's like, oh, this would be like a nice 20 minute to a half an hour podcast for your morning commute. Do recommend us. We like to see more people subscribe. So thank you so much for listening. My name is Bill Wirtz and uh, yeah, see you Thursday. You have to learn.